is Nick. I'm the pastor here at Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by what you hear today as we as a body partake in the ordinary means of grace. If you have questions about what you hear, you may also contact us. We would love to answer those for you. And we hope that one day we might have the blessing of having your presence with us. Thanks for joining us. Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. We have another wrong number in our bulletin. The last number is 691. <clears throat> Should be 691. Our scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 26. We'll be reading uh, uh, verses 1 through uh, 5. 1 through 5. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous righteous nation that keeps faith may come in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height of the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground and cast it to the dust. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word, which you've given to us, and we pray that you would bless us now by your Holy Spirit as we consider this word together. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be talking about peace today. We have that wonderful verse that says, He will keep you in perfect peace. His mind has stayed on you. We know peace is a very elusive thing. It's something that people talk about quite a bit. When the uh, beauty pageants, I don't know if they still do, but they used to always ask questions to the contestants. And the answer would always be, well, they want, the one thing they want most is world peace. <laughs> How many times has that come up? And people are always wanting world peace and talking about it. They had the first world war was supposed to be the war to end all wars. And people went through a time of prosperity, and then another a tyrant came along, and another war came along. <clears throat> and now we see problems in Ukraine. They've been invaded and under attack militarily for over about a year and a half now. It seems in our own country, in our cities, in our streets, in our stores, are being looted right and left. There's violence, and there's just a lack of peace everywhere we look. <clears throat> But we see here that God is promising a true peace, but not just for anybody anywhere, but there's conditions to it. We see that Isaiah was living in a time also of military turmoil. The northern kingdom was in the process of being conquered by the Assyrians. And when, uh, probably when he wrote these or gave this prophecy, 
And the Assyrians came down and attacked and surrounded Jerusalem and were on the verge. But King Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah went to God in the holy temple and sent out a letter that the Assyrians had written and prayed to God. And God humbly prayed to God. And God delivered the southern kingdom for another 130 years or so. So Isaiah, in his time, was delivered from the Assyrians. But 133 years later, Jeremiah was a prophet when Jerusalem itself was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. So Isaiah has this wonderful uh, style where he is preaching to the contemporary people. But he also looks forward to the future in his prophecies. He looks forward to the time when Israel will be, the southern kingdom will be destroyed and they'll go into exile. But even there, 70 more years into the future, Isaiah sees them coming back to Jerusalem and being restored. So we see some of all these different uh, levels of his prophecies right here in this little passage that we read today. As we look at these verses, we want to see that because True peace comes from informed faith in God. We should be humble and look to Jesus Christ as our Prince of Peace. We see in the first place that true peace or uh, perfect peace involves right thinking or true thinking. Isaiah said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. True thinking means true thoughts about God, man, and the world. In Romans 1.21, Paul, talking about the Gentile nations in the Gentile world, says they became futile in their thinking. But God says to his people in Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thoughts. You have true thoughts. And in John 16, and there in the upper room, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. We are to think God's thoughts after him. And the Bible gives us plenty to think about. We got, the Bible tells us that God is sovereign, And God is holy. He's the creator of all things who made all things good. The Bible teaches that man is finite and sinful, created good but fallen into sin. The good news is that man can be redeemed by God's grace and is being redeemed by God's grace. And the Bible teaches that the world is fallen. It was created good but marred by man's sin. It's interesting, those few thoughts that I expressed right there are probably known to many of our young people, even children in kindergarten, the younger, older kids. Uh, When they learn in Sunday school that God created all things good, but Adam and Eve sinned, but God sends a Savior. Philosophers, down through the years, have tried to figure out why there's good and evil in this world. Why people can be so noble They'd be so evil at the same time. And if they would just listen to our little kids, they could give them the answer. Because they're studying and learning from God's word. We learn true truth from God's word. The, word, the, the truth that we get from the Bible makes sense. Not just by faith, but by 
looking around at the world around us. We see God's creation, his hand, and all the nature around us. And we see the beauty of redemption when people come to know Christ as his Savior. We see that during the exile and the lives of Daniel and his three friends, they had many temptations and pressures to conform to the Babylonian world, but they stayed faithful to God in their minds. They remembered God's law and were dedicated to it. They reasoned that God was able to save them from the lions and from the fire, but even if he didn't, they would stay faithful to him. Daniel was at peace in the lion's den, whereas the king worried and fretted all night long. (laughs) Daniel was at peace, and the king was the one who was worried. So when we are in a difficult circumstance, instead of peace, we feel fear and anxiety. It is important that we make the effort to turn our thoughts to God and his promises. We often focus on our feelings and are overwhelmed by them in difficult times. But we must make the effort to turn our thoughts to God. It is our faith that tells us to think on these things. To remember the power, grace, and love of God. He has promised to work all things for our good. So even if we do not feel it, we believe it and meditate on it. So we see in the first place that true peace involves true thinking. But it is not enough to know truth about God. We see in the second place that true peace comes from true trust in God. Isaiah said, you keep him in perfect peace because his mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. True trust does not depend on circumstances, but on God's presence. We have an example of the disciples when they were in a boat and the storm was all around them and they were about to sink and to to perish. They were terrified, but Jesus was right there with them. He was in the boat with them. And in spite of him being there, they were afraid. All Jesus had to do was stand up in the boat and say, peace, be still. And the sea and the wind calmed down right away. The Prince of Peace, the Sovereign God, was right there with them. And that was all they really needed, but they hadn't realized that yet. They hadn't come to understand yet who Jesus was. A little bit later, the Apostle Paul was in a boat. They was also being carried along by a storm. And they would soon have a shipwreck. But an angel of God came and strengthened him and told him that all would be well. And he was at peace. He tried to calm down everybody else. He tried to tell them on the boat, go ahead and eat something. We've been uh, so many days without food. And go ahead and just uh, relax. God is going to take care of us. Then we see that true trust and peace comes from true humility. To truly trust in God is to be humble before him. Verse 5 talks about that God had humbled the people of the lofty city. Now, a few verses before in chapter 25, Isaiah was talking about Moab. In the first uh, chapters of this book, he goes around the whole, all the nations around Israel and Israel itself and proclaims God's judgment on all these nations. 
But the last one right before in chapter 25 was the city of Moab, which, uh, a country which is up on a lofty mountain. It could be Babylonia, who is also uh, in the Bible as a symbol of lofty arrogance against God. You know, even Jerusalem itself was a rebellious people, and they often, uh, over and over again, in rebellion against God. But whoever uh, God is humbling the lofty people in this world. So what does peace have to do with humility? Remember the story that Jesus told about the person who went to a feast and he went in and got the best seat that was available and sat right down. Then another person came in and went to a lower seat uh, where he just went ahead and sat down as well. Well, I imagine that the guy in the first seat was kind of on pins and needles he was prideful, he was arrogant, he was looking around to see who else might be coming in. And he was not sure what was going to happen. And sure enough, the master of the feast came and told him to move back. But the other guy in the more humble seat was just happy, he was peaceful, he was just watching everything and enjoying himself because he didn't have to worry about anything bad happening to him. So God gives a lesson there about how important that humility is as we seek true peace with God. God does love to bring down the proud and lift up the humble. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. We have an example of King David. He was trying to avoid the reality of his sin with Bathsheba. For several months, he tried to put it out of his mind. He tried to do business as usual. Uh, and he, but, for, but later in Psalm 32, he said, When I was silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He tried to put it out of his mind, but his conscience was gnawing away at his very physical health. And he heard, until he heard God's word, that he was the man. Until he was humbled, until he was brought down in repentance. He was instantly convicted and humbled and repented. At that moment, he was restored to the joy of his salvation and was able to rest in peace. God had humbled him in order to lift him up. So God loves to bring down the proud and to lift up the humble. We also see the example of the exiles. I mentioned Isaiah looking forward to the exiles that had come back from Babylonia back to Jerusalem. And they had realized that God was just in his judgments. And they were humble before him. God restored the Jews to Jerusalem and led them in rebuilding their nation and their temple. But more, they were more aware of his holiness and power, but also of his grace and love as they came back. So we see that true peace involves true thinking and true peace comes from true, humble trust in God. Now we want to see that true peace is a result of true righteousness. Verse 2 speaks of a righteous nation. 
Now we know that true righteousness comes only from God. The Bible says there is no one righteous, no, not one. If we take the context of verse 2 again as the people of Israel returning from exile and being restored to Jerusalem, we know they were still far from perfect. But they were called a righteous people because of God's forgiveness and his reconciliation. Now if we expand the context to us today, to the church of Jesus Christ today, we still see that we are not perfect, but trust only in the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to us and received by faith alone. True peace and true righteousness go hand in hand. As we trust in God's love and forgiveness and accept his uh, new life and the righteousness that he gives to us, we no longer worry about his wrath and his judgment. We're at peace with God through the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And true righteousness does come from Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.11 speaks of the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness. This morning we've been saying that true peace is related to true thinking and produced by true trusting, which leads to true righteousness. So we can get all those truths lined up. We're taking notes. <laughs> Just put our letter T for true. So in summary, true peace comes from Jesus Christ. Jesus is God incarnate. When we turn our thoughts to God, it is Jesus who took on human flesh so we can relate to him and understand him. When we trust in God, again, we are focusing on Jesus Christ. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. And when we think of true righteousness, Jesus is our righteousness. But also Jesus is our peace. The Apostle Paul quotes the prophet Micah in saying, He is our peace. In Isaiah 9, 6, in speaking of the coming Messiah, Isaiah also looks way to the future to the Messiah. He is called the Prince of Peace. We have the example of Mary and Martha who are weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. <clears throat> when Jesus came out to comfort them, he didn't say, don't worry, I will do this. He didn't say, I will do this. He said, I am. Jesus himself was the answer. Jesus himself is the one that gives comfort. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The peace that they needed was Jesus himself. Jesus purchased our peace for us by his death on the cross. Colossians 1.20 says, making peace through his blood. So Jesus is the focus of our peace, of our righteousness, of our relationship with God. And again, when we are in difficult circumstances and see no solution... We turn our thoughts to God. We make the effort to meditate on his goodness and especially to remind ourselves that he is with us. In the book of Isaiah, once again, Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. He may not give us a vision of an angel or a bright light, but we have his word written 
and his Holy Spirit in our hearts. He is with us. He is here to say, peace, be still. If we have a specific sin that is bothering us and causing us to lose our peace, we should repent of it right away. Go to God and repent. Go to God and confess. God wants to love us and forgive us. If someone has wronged you, forgive that person right away. Don't let it gnaw and, and, and take away your peace, worrying about it. Forgive that person just as Jesus, God through Jesus, has forgiven you. If someone is a sick that you know, and we know we have very, uh, several sick people in our church right now, or if one of our uh, relationships that we have is in trouble, turn them over to God. Say, your will be done. Take your worry and your trouble and your, and your fret to Jesus Christ and ask that his will be done. Remember his promises. Remember that he is with you. And meditate on his goodness. As we come now to the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that in the upper room during the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And he said, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has provided peace for us. Peace with God through the forgiveness of our sins. And peace with one another. As we forgive one another and pray for one another. But the peace that Jesus provides is free for us. But it was costly for him. Paul says in Colossians 1.20 again that we have peace through his blood. Our peace cost God the Father the pain of sending his son to this world. And it cost Jesus the pain of Calvary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we all have things that bother us, that disturb us, some things that even keep us awake at night. And we pray that in those times you would remind us of your goodness, of your promises, and of your presence. And just help us to trust in you. We thank you you've given us our Lord Jesus Christ who has promised to be with us now and forever, even into all eternity. And we would just ask you to bless us now, Lord, as we uh, celebrate once again the Lord's Supper. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.